Hey, you know how computers are designed to make running a business a lot easier? I think that counts for mailing and shipping, too. I don't know why you wouldn't use Stamps.com. You could have 24-hour access to the post office right from your computer. No waiting in line. No hassle. Stamps.com makes mailing and shipping easier. Just use the computer and printer you already have to get official U.S. postage for any letter, any package. Print it. Put it on envelopes. Put it on labels. Put it on plain paper. Hand it to your mail carrier. They'll take it. You're good. It's more powerful than a postage meter. You can avoid those time-consuming trips to the post office. And I personally use Stamps.com. And actually, you could too if you use the promo code BS for this special no-risk trial. It is a $110 bonus offer. and includes a digital scale up to $55 of free postage. Um, all you have to do is go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in BS. Stamps.com. Check it out. The BS Report is a free-flowing conversation that occasionally touches on mature subjects. The BS Report. The BS Report with Bill Simmons. Welcome to the BS Report. It is a sunny Tuesday here in Southern California. I know everyone back in the East Coast doesn't want to hear that. But we have Grantland Zachlow coming up a little bit later to talk about his all-star column and who we think the all-star starters in reserve should be. But right now... Stuck in a snowstorm, ready to give his take on the latest latest Patriots controversy. Our friend Jacko, we're going to call him right now. Hello? Johnny. What's up, buddy? We're cheating. We're calling you at home. You're trapped home with a snowstorm. Well, you know, you seem quite familiar with cheating these days, so. Oh, no! <laughs> right out of the gates! <laughs> I kid, I kid. Yeah, this is a special <laughs> Snow Day uh, podcast after Snowpocalypse uh, 2015. Turned you out not to really be snowpocalypse. You weren't really kidding is what really hurt my feelings. You weren't <laughs> kidding at all. Well, semi-kidding, yeah. Um, America wants your take. You're you're a semi-impartial observer. You live in New England. You don't root for the Patriots. You root for an NFC team. Um, I mean, you're probably a little biased against the Patriots, but not enough not to have an honest opinion. What do you think happened? Well, I don't know. I don't know how fair of an arbiter I am because I, I don't care for the Patriots. I really, I really don't care for them. No, oh, I recant all my, uh, I recant my intro. <laughs> but uh, but I'll try to I'll try to put on my impartial hat. And um, I think they did something shady with the balls. Is what I think happened. And I think that like they thought that a lot of people do a lot of shady things with the balls, and that you know Belichick is is no doubt a genius, and he's always looking for a way to push the uh, boundaries, and he's hyper-competitive, and I think they thought that it wasn't that big a deal, and I think they're surprised that they got called on it now. But I think something, I think they did something because Brady, you know, in wet conditions, or Brady's getting older, or if he has smaller hands or something, I think he likes his, his footballs on the uh, lower end of the inflation level and probably below what's legally allowable, and they didn't see it as a huge deal. And it's gotten to be blown up into a bigger deal than they thought. Do you think it's possible that they just lowered the ball to the lowest possible limit while also figuring out that maybe the the weather would deflate them a tiny bit more and it was an advantage, but a legal advantage? No, because I don't think it, it was 51 degrees at kickoff. It was a weird day here in Connecticut where I live. It was 48 degrees. We had a birthday party for my daughter and my family was leaving and they're like, oh, it's like springtime outside. We went and drove to some friend's house and watched the game, and then they started the game. It said it was 51 degrees. So, I mean, 
if the weather impacted the footballs that much, then something like the Ice Bowl in 1966, you know, the ball should have been completely flat. So I don't think it was enough. 51 degrees is not enough to cause that big of a fluctuation in the inflation level of the football, I don't think. Everyone says that, but I live in California where it never goes below 50 degrees even like at night. And if we leave basketballs or soccer balls outside, they always end up deflating. So why does that happen? Bill it would have affected the Colts footballs too, though, presumably. Well, maybe they like them more inflated. And I, I just think that, I mean, the NFL is not going to let this overshadow its biggest celebration of the year, the Super Bowl. There so if there was, If that was plausible, the NFL would have come out by now and nipped this thing in the bud like Monday after it happened and been like, oh, it was the weather because they were, you know, the Patriots inflated to 13 pounds instead of 15 pounds or whatever. I think they would have said that already. And apparently after Belichick's science uh, tutorial the other day, press conference. Yes, I loved it. The uh, Wilson, the guy, people that make the football said that everything he said is completely implausible. Didn't Wouldn't happen. Yeah, paid by the NFL sponsor. <laughs> what about Bill Nye, the science guy, saying it couldn't happen? Never, never really Nye respected him. <laughs> it, is, it is turned into the modern JFK assassination where everybody's got different conspiracy theories and theories and everyone's interpreting evidence different ways. And uh, I've never seen anything like it. And all these different leaks, you don't know what to believe. Did they check them with did the ref, check them with a the gauge before the game? Right. Did they check them at halftime or did the ref just like squeeze them before the game and say these are all good and not really check it that diligently? Yes. And what if they did that? Well, I just think if that was the case, that the NFL would have already come out and thrown the refs under the bus because I don't, I don't think the NFL. I mean, Goodell's in a tough position here after all the other controversies the NFL's gone through all year. You know, he's he's part he's hanging out at Kraft's house the night before the AFC Championship game, so people think, well, he's in Kraft's back pocket, and you know, the rest of the country thinks that the Patriots are cheaters and have a history of this with Spygate and everything else, so they want him to do something. And then it's like, well, he's not going to, you know, he's not going to suspend Belichick. I mean, he maybe would have suspended Belichick, but it's too late for that for the Super Bowl. But he's not going to suspend Brady because, you know, Boston would burn the city down and, you know, rant and riot. It would go crazy. You can't do that. So he's in a horrible position. So if you could nip it in the bud and just say, oh, no, you know, the refs didn't check the balls beforehand, I think you would have done that already to avoid the PR headaches. Well, he's also somebody who who has somehow made the wrong decision about ninety five percent of the time with any sort of any sort of major situation. <laughs> that, that is true, but I mean, if you just come out and do and say, "Oh, the you know the refs didn't really check thoroughly," and you know that was the way they were accepted, and you know our bad or whatever, and it didn't affect the outcome of the game, you would have said that a week ago. You wouldn't even, no matter how dumb you are. And he's, no, but he's they're, they're super dumb. dumb. You, did you read the Mueller report? They're no, super dumb. They didn't even write down notes during the Ray Rice hearing, and they didn't even ask for evidence from the police or the Ravens or anything. I think these guys are like the Keystone Cops, and, there, I, and I, mean, I think he's a F, dope. The, I mean, the owners ought to step in, and he he definitely has to go because where's he been? Hey, he hasn't said one thing in ten days. I know. Well, that's the thing, and to allow all these leaks and everything else to come out. I mean, yes, I got all excited yesterday because there was a Jay Glazer report on Fox that about a person of interest, like the assistant mm. equipment boy, and the video of him taking it to another room. And then today I read, oh, that he, the other room was the bathroom, and he was there for 90 seconds, presumably taking a leak. Um, 
So it's like you don't know what to believe. I mean, it's, it's like anything else where there's some ongoing investigation in the media. Everybody's got their sources, and who knows what's true and what's not true. So I you don't think, think. Wait a second, though. You don't. You wouldn't rule out a scenario. We make fun of NFL referees all the time, and we talk about how incompetent they are all the time. You don't think there's a scenario where they just pretended to check the balls, but they really didn't? Well, I'm curious to see. I mean, I, don't, I just don't know. I'm curious about how often the ref diligently takes a pressure gauge and checks yeah. the balls before every game when, you know, the ref probably has about a million other things to do to check and make sure everything is in order and everything is good to go. And, you know, call his bookie. What's that? Call his bookie. Call they, I mean, they bookie. got a lot of stuff before the game. A lot of stuff going on. So, I'm, you know, and I'm sure. You're an, if you're working the AFC Championship game, you're probably an experienced ref. You've, you've been working all season. How diligent are you going to be? That's that's the question. Mm. But and then on the other hand, you say, well, it's a championship game. Everything's got to be right, and maybe you do check it. Maybe you're very thorough because you're an all-star crew, and that's how you got the job. Did you like how the – like my dad and, and my buddy Bug, who you know, mm-hmm. we did a podcast on Friday, and it was right after – Belichick threw Brady under the bus and Brady did his terrible press conference. And we, right. we were like, it was rock bottom Friday morning for Pat's fans. Yeah. And then the bug came on and was in FU mode and kind of yeah. got me fired up. And I went through the weekend and now I'm in total FU mode. It's us against well, them, Johnny. They hate us because they ain't us. Your Twitter, uh, your, your Twitter account has been a roller coaster ride of emotions. I've, I've yeah. really been along the ride for it with you right after the game. You're like, if this is true, that's disappointing, and then you were reeling after Brady's press conference, and then you were defiant again. And Take a chance. So, yeah, I mean, you, you know, Belichick has circled the wagons, to coin a phrase, and I'm sure mm. it'll be the, everybody. you know, it's everybody against us, and our backs are against the wall, and nobody likes us, and they'll use, they'll use that as a motivation tool. Well, in addition in, to probably cheating in some newfound way that we're not even aware of. In fairness to my Twitter feed, there's a lot of alcohol and drugs involved, so you can't, you can't forget <laughs> that part. Of, totally part of understandable. Um. Well, you, you, not to bring politics into this, mm. <laughs> he said nervously. Yeah. But, um, you, you, you know, you're a Republican. The, yeah. George Bush at, at the W version, at some point, it became kind of an us against them type of situation. And right. you were familiar with when the other side's going at you all the time and you've got to figure out defenses. That's kind of where I am with the Pats now, right? Well, the better the better political analogy, of course, is Watergate and Belichick is Nixon. Oh no, I mean, no, that's not a better that's not the better analogy. That's the worst <laughs> analogy. I don't like that analogy. Everybody says Watergate. Why did Nixon? Why did Nixon have to bug Democratic headquarters? He he won forty nine states. What was the point? Yeah. And they say why would Belichick deflate the balls? They won forty five to seven. But in both instances, you have these maniacal geniuses that are want to stop at nothing to win, will win at all costs. And secondly, going into it, you don't know you're going to win 49 states. You don't know it's going to be 45 to 7. What if right. the Colts played the game of their life, right? Andrew Luck, completely unconscious. T.Y. Hilton's all over the field, and the game ends up being 28-27. In that case, having a better grip on the ball, not fumbling. And apparently the Patriots have a very low fumble rate, especially at home, interestingly. You know, not turning the ball over in the rain could be a big factor in a close game. We're just well-coached, Johnny. Maybe maybe that. Maybe we're just better. We're the best coach of all time. Maybe we're just better coaching everybody. And, you know, when you give one press conference and you're like, I, you know, nobody believes for a second that Belichick 
doesn't know anything about the footballs or how they're prepared when he's like hyper competitive and the most prepared guy in the history of football. Arguably. He's got other things to do, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, right. And he's not going to care about the footballs or what goes on with them. No clue, no idea. And yeah. then Brady comes out, and when you're asked point blank a question, are you a cheater? And you answer, I don't believe so. You know? Yeah, that wasn't great. If you, if you came home to your wife, if home from Vegas, and she's like, you didn't do anything that you know I'd be embarrassed about, would you? And you say, I don't believe so. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. You should be emphatic in your denial. Look him right in the eye and be like, of course not. How dare you suggest I'm a cheater? We, I do we just, like the way they've just decided to just like brazen it out, though, because yeah, own it. either they know they have they have Goodell in their back pocket, which is a distinct possibility, mm. or you know they okay, perhaps there's nothing there, <laughs> or they've you know bought the ball boy a Ferrari and he flew on Kraft's private jet to the Super Bowl and he'll keep his mouth shut. Yeah, what's the ball boy's price? Because I'm willing to chip in. Is there a Kickstarter <laughs> fund? <laughs> I got five grand right here. All I know is he's sitting at the, at the 50 at the first row. Yeah. Please welcome our football boy for the 2014 season, Mario. <laughs> he drives right. in in a Ferrari. The only boy driving a Ferrari with a Victoria's Secret model is his girlfriend. Yeah, I think you, you raised a couple scenarios that I've I've talked myself into. Uh, Goodell in the back pocket is one of my favorite. Although that might be counterproductive since he's the most incompetent commissioner <laughs> right, of my lifetime. Up. Right. That actually, that might hurt us. I do think it's amazing, though, that instead of just kind of coming out and owning this whole, you know, we're, we're going to figure out what happened here thing, the NFL, which should have taken 48 hours. Yeah. They've turned this into, um, you know, the what was what it, what was – after Watergate, what did they call the, the the giant commission that took forever? What was that called? Well, they, it was just the Watergate Commission. What? Oh, I thought it had a special name. I don't. But it's so, turned man. into that. Where it's gonna? What are they gonna do this for two years? How hard is it to find out what happened? And why well, is Goodell saying anything? Well, because I, I think that the, I mean, Occam's Razor is the old thing everybody always says. When you look at something and the, it's not really some grand conspiracy, usually it's the thing that's staring you right in the face. So it's staring you right in the face is that. The Patriots once again played fast and loose with the rules, and the NFL yeah. doesn't want to do Why that. Why once again? Why did you throw the once again? That hurt my feelings. <laughs> because you have Spygate, and so you have Spy. I mean, yeah. if, they, if there was no Spygate, people would be like, "Why are we talking about this? This is ridiculous." You know, if it was some organization that was, you know, known to be upstanding, you know, you had like Johnny. Can the, I? The, sorry. Can I tell you a couple of things? Yeah. Um, who who cheated with the salary cap and got penalized the first round pick? Um, oh, wait, two teams, the DeBartolo 49ers and the 94 Super Bowl. They totally cheated, got penalized, and then the Elway Broncos cheated twice. Yeah, there were two I Super mean, Bowls, then in 2004. Oh, wait, who cheated a couple years ago with the salary cap and then got got stuck with the, the resulting money? The Cowboys and the Washington football team. There's cheating like, and then there's All these teams cheat. They all, they, the, all, they, they all well, cheat to do different big, things. There's a big difference between cheating in the set with the salary cap and fooling around with financial stuff and altering the footballs that are used in the game of play. Why? What? What, what is? What, why is one worse than the other? The four, the '94 49ers had like six extra guys and were able to add Deion Sanders mid-season. Just, just kind of snuck them into the cap with, so, with some the, illegal move. That's not the, as bad. It goes to the integrity of the game, and the salary cap is an artificial thing that's put in there as a number, and yes, everybody's supposed to abide by it, but it's, I mean, I think it's understood guys restructure their salaries and everything else. I mean, the really, fa the really amazing thing that's come out of all this, though, is that the NFL 
the most popular sport in America, right? Probably the most, po- I don't know if it's the most popular sport in the world. I suppose soccer is in Europe and South America, yeah. but it's the most popular sport in America. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. And the way they let it, it work is that each team gets to bring their own footballs and do basically whatever they want with them. And then, and then they're incredible. checked by a ref in some cursory examination or maybe not. And then they each look get to run. use their own balls. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Can you imagine hey, in baseball if they let teams use their own baseball or, or hockey, you know, guys fool around with the puck or something? It makes no sense to me. I had no idea about this. I knew kickers use their own balls because apparently the regular balls are hard to, you know, kick or whatever. But I had no idea that each team gets to supply the balls and they each use their own. They, they the way all it make was up back their in the stuff. day with, like, you know, Red Grange and Bronco Nagurski. Don't you think they all use the same ball with, like, blood and mud and teeth on it and things. Well, remember they used to say in baseball, one of the reasons the the pitcher stats were so great because they were using like one ball the whole game. Right, yeah. The, the ball, ball would just get, get the crap beaten out of it. Yeah, and they, right. the fans would throw it back if there was a foul ball. So by like the seventh inning, that thing was like a beaten up watermelon. <laughs> right. It's, it's unbelievable to me that the NFL doesn't just supply 32 balls and everybody's going to use whatever balls in play at that time. I really don't get yes, that at all. Well, he, I mean, even funnier, Brady and Manning in the mid-2000s led the brigade to actually have right. quarterbacks use their own ball. They were all upset about how every ball was different. And, right. Um, can you tell them, can you tell I've entered FU mode? It happened over the weekend. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I've I get it. I've had it with everybody. I, I get it. And, you know, I, I have to laugh at the stuff in the Boston media that I've read because, you know, they've totally mm. circled the wagons. And I'm like, my God, if the shoe was ever on the other foot, the Boston oh, media would be like, I mean, it would be like the American Revolution, like pitchforks and torches. It would be insanity, like if the opposite ever happened. But I understand There's that. No I mean, if it was the Yankees, I'd be, I'd be deluding myself into thinking they were clean, too. So I get it. I get your position. It would be like if you won your last World Series and then A-Rod <laughs> was in 15 different steroid scandals. <laughs> Right. And right. Genesis Clinic. So it'd be like, like, what would you do if that happened? You know, I mean, the really the yeah. ultimate irony is between, you know, Big Poppy and Manny and now Deflategate. And yet it's the other team in the Super Bowl that has a monument of a needle. It's pretty incredible. <laughs> and it's overshadowing some great storylines like Pete Carroll's dramatic return to battle the Patriots. Totally underplayed. Coach Fredo. The Coach Fredo uh, against the former team. For a Patriots disliker maybe not hater but i do dislike them a great deal for me though like i mean the narrative's already been written because if they win the game it's everybody except outside of the six states of new england is going to say well they won because they cheated and if they yeah. lose the game everybody outside of the six states of new england is going to say oh they lost the game because they couldn't cheat everybody was watching them yeah so I've, their legacy is tarnished out. either way which is that's fine well, i'll take that you know it's not going to be tarnished? My Super Bowl video after we win. <laughs> if we win. That's right. That'll, that'll be the right Lombardi, next to the, the other three. Lombardi Trophy at Patriot Way or whatever, yes. <laughs> the tears the tears rolling down my eyes as Brady, <laughs> Belichick, and Kraft have a three-way hug. Those won't be tarnished either. <laughs> it's going to be real tears. They're going to taste like salt, Jenny. <laughs> I, just I can't wait for this Mario, game. I'm, I'm, I hope ahead. they let Mario the ball boy ride in the very first duck boat. Giving middle fingers <laughs> to America. That's all that it's just well deserved. Mario the Bob Boy is is, is gonna make enough team from the Kraft family that he's gonna be able to try to make a run at the Rams. Maybe he's gonna be able to step in. Maybe they'll let him take the Lombardi from uh, Goodell up on the podium afterward. 
He's the Super Bowl MVP. Well, it is, it is interesting. Like the Baltimore game, assuming there was always chicanery with the balls, the Baltimore is the team that should be mad. Indianapolis right. got their butts kicked, and they, yeah, they should have been that game, in that game Indianapolis anyway. had no business being on the same field with the Patriots. That was an embarrassment. But, yeah, but, Baltimore but, should be throwing stones, yeah. No question. Well, yeah, and they thought about it, and then they realized that they have a legacy of, of cheating and lying <laughs> that, that matches just about anybody in the 21st century in any right. league. So they had to let, shut up. Let he without sin cast the first stone. They, they weren't really without sin, yeah, no question. Yeah, the interesting they thing had is raised... pres- presumably the Patriots didn't just, if they did it, and let's face it, they did it, they, if they didn't just start doing this in the championship game. I mean, this has probably been going on for a while now as Brady has aged. So, you know, it really calls me I disagree. I don't, maybe I'm a delusional homer. <laughs> Actually, maybe. not maybe. <laughs> okay, I'm a delusional homer. But right. um, the way they kind of went at Goodell in the NFL over the weekend made me think that they didn't, that there was a, at least a really good chance that they didn't do this. And I think one of the reasons that they didn't really know what to do on Thursday was because they didn't have all the facts in. They were still in negotiations with Mario, and once the check cleared, they were like, okay, well, Mario's paid for. Let's go give the defiant press conference. I mean, we've that's got, one scenario. That's one way to look our, at it, Johnny. We've got all our T's crossed. Go out there. Raise the Patriot flag. But I think they were doing their own investigation, and <laughs> and uh, and once they thought, like, wow, we didn't do this, um, now we're mad. Now the league's coming at us. And I think what really made them mad is that the league kept leaking stuff. And that, yeah. that NFL is just a – I mean, there is no worse-run league right now. And that that place has more leaks than the Titanic. The Patriots did their own investigation utilizing the private eye firm that Big Poppy used to get to the bottom of his false steroid test and that OJ used to find the real killers. It, it was like when uh, – it was like when the NFL did the the Mueller report, and it turned out he had worked with the Ravens president right. for thirty years. That was <laughs> right. good. That was, a, yeah. that was a nice balanced one. Yeah, that was. I, the, nobody bought that. The thing that's bugging me, like I'm fine with with rooting for America's villain. You know, I'll, I've talked myself into it, but the annoying part is like Tony Dungy and Ray oh, yeah. Lewis and all these all these people like getting on their high horse high horse and taking their shots. Oh, yeah. And it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, there is an aspect of jealousy to this. There's there's no question. Sure. And I, you know, I understand that completely, that you've been dominant in the NFL for 15 years. And, there, you've, you know, there's a fair share of haters out there. There's no no question about it. That there's a, you know, But haters that they've beaten, like Jerome Bettis was another, yeah. like he was in near tears because of Brady. And it's like, oh, oh, wait, I wonder if the Patriots ever played a Jerome Bettis team in the playoffs. Oh, we did. Yeah. Oh, oh, we we beat we 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 beat them in two different postseasons. I forgot. So yeah, I don't know. It's... Some de- there is some degree of that. Yes. Yeah. There there is some degree of they hate us because they hate us and all that or whatever. Yes, I get that. Yeah, but, but they've they've earned it too. I get it. Yeah. It's just I. It, it's funny because it's such an either or thing. Like Brewski defends the Pats and he's in Belichick's pocket or whoever you know, and it's like. Mm. You don't even know when you're listening to people. You don't even know like what side they're on. It's become like politics. Every really, every single person who weighs end, in, though. you don't know. Who what? was the Who was the team that was always known for being fast and loose in the rules when we were kids in the '70s and '80s? The Oakland Raiders, right? Yeah. And karma got even with them by having a 
doddering Al Davis run things, and now they have Mark Davis, the last guy in America with a bull haircut, running them. Yeah, they've been inept for decades. So you know. know, the Jonathan Kraft Brady list, Belichick list, Patriot days are coming. So that's going to really be the ultimate ultimate payback and the ultimate punishment. So you'd think like we're going to have our equivalent of Al Davis as a sea monster running the Raiders into the ground for 10 yeah. solid years? Like Kraft. That's, that's my future? Be, Kraft will either be out of it or they'll just turn it over to Jonathan Kraft and it's going to be like a, you know, Jimmy Buss, Hal Steinbrenner. Oh, God. <laughs> not, not the father, like, you know, just earned it, just got it through uh, inheritance and then you're going to run the team. So I will say this about really Jonathan Kraft. Well, I'll say this about Jonathan Kraft. I I don't think he's a Hank Steinbrenner. I think that that guy actually is one of the one of the uh, rare exceptions of the whole never trust somebody who's a legacy kid in sports right. rule. Like that guy actually does business, and and it seems like he carries a lot of the stuff right now. I I'm more worried about a Belichick staying on ten years too long now. Yeah, you know, I I don't I'm not sure any coach should coach in their seventies. I could see Belichick being like eighty one and still in the sidelines wearing a hoodie, and then uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm still worried about if they lose this game, the Brady Belichick alliance like splintering and them turning on each other like pro wrestling. That's I don't like, know. Well, I mean, Belichick's going to hang on to him as long as he's good, and he's going to throw him away once he is without any sentimentality. That's what he's known for. So yeah. I don't know if it'll turn on each other like. You know, heels turning on each other, no honor among thieves deal. But I just think once Brady's no longer of any value, he'll just cut him loose. That's all. Do you think Belichick's girlfriend ever thinks about that? Everyone always says that about Belichick. Like, well, once you have no use for him, you're out. Yeah. He'll just cut you. He gets rid of you. He releases you. <laughs> and then it, it, but then he's home and his girlfriend probably has three glasses of wine. It's like, you do this when you – the way you run the Patriots, you just get rid of people when they outlive their youth. No, no, but that's just my job, honey. I'm not like that in real life. Yeah, but if she's smart, she's got a, a big supply of Botox and silicone. Let's put it that way. It's important, yeah. it's important for her to stay as young as to look as young as she can. Well, maybe she can. She can uh, end up. Well, there was a ball Mrs. Boy. Be- there was a Mrs. Belichick once. She got cut loose, so there is a precedent, right? Well, yeah, there they, there was an amicable divorce, Johnny. <laughs> yes, and the uh, girlfriend is an upgrade, so you know it's not stupid. Well, she might be in that first duck boat with Myra the Ball Boy, and then who knows what will happen after that. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. They, if if Myra the Ball Boy ends up taking the entire fall for this, that will be he'll become one of the most famous non-athlete, non-coaches, probably the most famous in the history of Boston sports. You know, now the guy would say out, Maybe him and Harry Frazier. There was always a thing like the guy who shot Bin Laden. Like he's he now he's come forward, but everybody thought at the time he could never come forward because you know he'd be a marked man. But everybody's yeah. like, boy, that guy will never pay for a drink again in his life because he shot Bin Laden. If you're Mario the Ball Boy and you like took the fall hair and kept your mouth shut, I mean, you basically own New England, right? You own Massachusetts. You're like the mm. de facto governor of Massachusetts, the shadow governor. You own a, you definitely own a sports bar called Deflators or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> Fade which becomes the most popular bar in the history of Boston. Hey, you going down to Deflators? <laughs> Go down to play some pool. That'll be guy, great. The guy will have a deal with like sports memorabilia companies to like autograph uh, needles and inflation devices for footballs, signed deflated footballs. He'll be, make a million. Or it could go the other way. Who's the guy who helped Clemens out? And then turned on him, Brian. No, uh, 
McNamee, wasn't it? Yeah, Brian McNamee. Yeah. yeah, he could be like a Brian McNamee type. The McNamee to... report, right? Just come out. Could be like A Rod's be... cousin. <laughs> well, we you have to come on another time to talk about A Rod because we got to get to Zach yeah. Lowe. But that, needless to say, I've been I I enjoy uh, anything anything awful or excruciating or terrible that's happening to other teams after looking yeah. through this and. uh I love the whole A Rod thing. The home run bonuses are hilarious. That his yeah. <laughs> extra six million for when he gets to six sixty. How far is he away from six sixty? It's not He's far, like right? Six, no, six home runs away, I believe. And and we talked about this a couple of podcasts ago. They nobody could come up with an adequate reason why they just wouldn't wave him. I, I still don't understand that. And they're playing hardball with him, like he telling them you can't report until like the very the only day that veterans can report. Don't come early basically stay away to the last minute you're not playing third base we're trying to like stiff you on contractual provisions of, of hitting the certain numbers you're not going to get paid for that i mean just wave them already eat the 30 million dollars you, you buy 30 you buy 300 million dollars worth of goodwill right it reminds I me just, of i don't get that, it. that 70s basketball movie with robbie benson we used to love henry Steele. we used to yeah. imitate his voice one-on-one one-on-one and uh and the coach got mad at him and tried to take a scholarship and started doing all this mean stuff to him and roughed him up in practice and made, right. him, made him run the stairs. Then he was like, you're not getting my scholarship. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like what they're doing A-Rod now. They're roughing him up. They're going to hire some pitcher to throw at him in batting practice. Whoops, sorry, A-Rod. Sorry we keep hitting you with these balls. That actor really, one of the all-time great that guys of all time. He played the evil senator in Godfather Part Two. Yeah, and the evil basketball coach in one on one with Robbie Benson. That's a good North, career right there. And the coach in North Dallas Forty. Right, that's right. Well, Johnny, he's not a that guy because I know his name. It's G. E. Spradlin. That's right. They're very good. That's, that's right. I knew it was. I was thinking it was like J. T. Something. I knew it was something with initials. That's good. Yeah. Thanks. What are they I still got it. Where's his Where's his Hollywood star on the Walk of Fame? By the way, it's in my living room. Johnny, uh, give us a Super Bowl prediction. Well, unfortunately, I think the Patriots are going to be motivated, and the Seahawks have not looked that great. I think the Patriots win mm, 28-24. Okay, there you go. All right, we'll call you uh, after the Super Bowl. To, to I'm going to need to turn all my attention to making fun of other teams after this is over <laughs> to make myself feel better. Absolutely. All Thanks, right. Johnny. Enjoy the all snow. Right. Have all right. fun. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, as promised from GreatOne.com, he just released his all-star picks today. He's on the line right now. Zach Lowe, how are you? I'm hanging in there, man. How you doing? We agree on almost every pick. Um, the the most important thing coming out of the gate, and, and this is really important to me for whatever reason, four Hawks need to be on the all-star team. And I don't care how we get there, but um, I, I I like rewarding four guys from the team. And I fully supported it when it happened with the Pistons in, I think, 2006. And I, I think it's a nice statement to make that a team's kind of owned the conference for for better or worse for the first half of the season. Corver is the fall guy in this scenario. Make a case for somebody else other than Corver in that spot. Uh, someone to take his spot or another yeah. Hawk? That, okay, someone to take his spot. Right. Uh, so if Corver if Corver's out, um, I mean, it's it's not hard. I mean, I, I my team. I, I think Vucevic would probably be the next guy, um, and the case would be, you know, he's putting up monster numbers. He's become a really good offensive player. 
He still doesn't really help you around the rim on defense, but he rebounds like a madman. Uh, you know, he's just a really well-rounded offensive player who can do lots of different things for you with the ball. You can make a case for him. I think Greg. Mon- I think people are sleeping on Greg Monroe. He's been a monster. He's he's been a monster since the Josh Smith. Do we need a we need a name for that, like the Josh Smith departure or the Josh Smith incident or the Josh Smith parallax or something. But. Um, He's been a monster since then. He's actually like trying pretty hard on defense. He's he's doing better on that end. The Pistons are happy. I was talking to some of their guys this week. They're happy with his progress on that end. Um, I I think he has a decent case. There there are you know who else did I Carmelo? I didn't have Carmelo on my team. I mean, look, the Knicks are terrible, but Carmelo's been you know not as good as usual, but still pretty damn good. Yeah, I I, I can't accept Carmelo on my All Star team. No offense, Carmelo. I just can't. I know. Did he? He didn't get voted in, right? Or he did? What? How did. did that work? No, Carmelo he Anthony did. is with knee yeah. problems so bad they're talking about shutting him down for the season. He'll start the All Star game in New York. So that probably knocks out Corver single handedly, unless he gets the Dwayne Wade spot. I can't imagine the coaches not voting for Wade. You had Kyrie Irving in there. I would vote. I personally would vote for Corver over Kyrie Irving, but I, I am admittedly not a fan of uh, of Kyrie's game, and I think. And, he, you know, you said it in your piece when when LeBron wasn't there for those two weeks and it was Kyrie's team. It was a disaster, just like it's been a disaster every time it's been Kyrie's team. I think he's well, a good it, stats, bad team guy. I think he's the guy that's in danger if Korver makes the team. And, look, I, I'm not a particularly big fan of Kyrie's game. I don't like watching him play basketball very much, but he's productive. I mean, he I like I, I, he's really productive. He does – he creates efficient shots for himself. He he creates efficient shots for his teammates when he makes the correct pass. And look, the team Rarely. has been a disaster with LeBron on the bench. Period. Whether he's healthy or not, when he doesn't play, they're bad. And some of that is on Kyrie, but that, that's the case for a lot of teams that have really great players that they're centered on. I think Kyrie's pretty good, but I, I kind of he or one of the Heat guys um, would be the would be the guy in trouble if if they do get four Hawks. You picked Lowry Wall. Jimmy Butler, you cheated. You put him at a forward spot. Uh, LeBron and Paul Millsap as your starters. And then your bench was Kyrie, Wade, Horford, Bosh, Gasol, Korver, and Teague. I, it was a little chicanery with that pick. I mean, it, it wasn't quite uh, deflating the picks with, with, uh, with one less PSI or anything like that. But I, 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 you could argue maybe Horford gets that spot if you're doing it by the book with the positions, right? Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't change the composition of the team. No, um, you know, you can, it doesn't change. You know, I put I had Jimmy Butler as a front court player, which, which frankly, the positional designations they use are stupid. I just thought I wanted Jimmy Butler to start because I don't yeah. feel like any any of those big guys have had start to finish unbelievable seasons, uh, other than Millsap, who I think has been you know the best big man in the East. So I, I just I cheated to get him in, but it doesn't change the the ultimate you know twelve guys that are on. My fake team, right? Horford first month looked look uh, looked rough, and it, and I specifically remember thinking, I'm not sure he's ever going to be the same after the two shoulder operations. He was still in the right places and doing Al Horford things, but just physically didn't seem the same. And then, especially during this uh, streak they've had, he looks like Al Horford again. Um, he would be my pick if you had to have a conventional big guy in there over Bosch and over Powell. I mean, I guess the real story is, holy mackerel, is, is the East big man situation 
a catastrophe. Like Greg Monroe's probably the fourth best big man in the East right now. Well, the East is just a catastrophe all around. But yeah, I mean, it's funny. The big there are a lot of big men putting up good stats. And you know me, right. I'm a stats guy. I'm an analytics guy. I look at all of them. It's just it when you watch them play, it doesn't feel or look like they're just indispensable changing the outcome of games you're like scared to gameplay it just doesn't like Vucevic's numbers don't like and Powell is the centerpiece of this I think Powell's having a really nice season but when you watch the Bulls I I just don't I I look at Powell and I'm just I I don't feel that kind of like his numbers are unbelievable and then I watch the game and I just don't something is off something is just not clicking for me yeah I thought that was interesting you wrote about that today I for me I've seen it Sometimes it looks like Pow and it's a perfect fit, and then other times that you know it's he's just seems like he's getting his numbers, but what I'm watching doesn't match the numbers, which is a weird phenomenon. Like Vucevic is different. Vucevic is perfect for your fantasy team, but he doesn't have the all-around game yet, and he's just young. And I'm not ruling it out. I think he's like 22, but they, there's things that he's just not doing yet that help a team win, whereas. The the Bulls situation, there's been four incarnations of that team already, and and we're probably headed for a five because they they're having so many issues behind the scenes. But depending on what game you watch, everybody looks different. And also, Butler offensively just hasn't been the same guy that he was in that first month. I mean, he, we were talking about him as an MVP candidate at one point, and I think that ship has sailed because he's hasn't shot the ball well for five six weeks now. That that ship that ship was like rickety and filled with holes from <laughs> from the beginning. But uh, yeah, it was a fun ship it, though. I I went on it for three hours. I took a little tour of the coast. Got a little cruise, a little booze cruise with Jimmy Butler. Uh, yeah, <clears throat> that well, that's what's so puzzling about the Bulls is that they just when they are all going and clicking, they look unbelievable. We just never see that and. It, it you know Noah has not been him so we're now forty plus games into the season and Noah has not looked like they need Noah to look and that's part of the Powell thing right is that Noah is now yeah almost a full time power forward running around at the three point line on defense and not being able to be himself um, and 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 run the offense from the elbow and all the stuff he did last year without Rose and they're just sort of still finding out where to put everyone around the floor and it's harder to do that when. Guys are in and out of the lineup, and guys are healthy, and then they're not. It's it's a strange, and as you mentioned, the stuff with Tibbs and the front office just won't die. Um, so and with reason, it's, it's yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to there. You know, look right now we're looking at Cleveland, Chicago, four or five in the first round, and it's early to speculate like that. But I don't think we thought that that we would be there halfway through the season. Yeah, who? Okay, I agree with you on that. But if one of the three teams had to drop out to ruin Cleveland, Chicago, four or five, which team would you pick? Probably Toronto, right? Uh, the way they've played defense for the last, well, really for the whole season, um, they would they would have to be the pick. Uh, they would have to be the pick. I mean, they're, like, they're basically tied with Washington, and it's that would have to be the team. Washington isn't. Washington's Washington doesn't. Does, they they don't blow you away. Um, yeah. But they're just a solid, solid team, and they they're haven't deep. had like ter- yeah. Toronto's have like a month long just puttering around, kind of, and, and they're changing their starting lineup. And now James Johnson isn't playing. It's just a weird vibe from them right now. Toronto had a great first month, and they've been a little bit over five hundred since. And that's that's just the rack, the fact. Those are the records. 
So I, I I could see them dropping off a little bit. Cleveland, Chicago in round one would be amazing. And we're going to need it because every other East series is going to be not amazing. Um, unless I, I, I just don't see Milwaukee being interesting. I want it so bad. I just, I can't see it. I can't see them scaring the hell out of somebody. Can you? Uh, I wouldn't count it out. You wouldn't count if, it out. Okay, good. If they're healthy, I wouldn't. I wouldn't count like Milwaukee, Washington, Milwaukee, Toronto. If that's a three-six series, like I, I could see that series being two-two after four games. I, I, could, I can see it. I think Milwaukee's frisky. They're they're frisky. They play hard. You got a game plan for the way they play defense. Um, they 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 get more out of the team than they should. They're deep too. You know, you in your all-star picks, you you discounted the Brandon Knight candidacy a little bit. You pointed out that, uh, you know, probably the biggest reason for their success is their depth. I really like the way he's playing, though, and I know I know he has some holes, but um, I would I would say if you're going to add up who is the most responsible for the Bucks being the surprise of the East, I would say that he probably has the most percentage points. Does that make sense? If you're going player by player, yeah. Uh, I guess. I mean, I think they're yeah. all. I think there'd be a lot of guys who have. You know, if if we're adding up to 100, percent I guess we need what like eight eight percentage points per per guy, or on average yeah. over 15 guys. There'd be a lot of guys around like six to eight or something like that. I think it's. I think it's a pretty pretty equal contribution from you know they got jared bayless and and jared dudley and all those guys middleton who's gone in and out of the starting lineup has had a really sneaky good season on both ends they have a lot of good good solid players got nothing from sanders um (laughs) jabari gets hurt (laughs) jabari gets hurt five weeks into the season it's weird kid Kid went from being one of the worst coaches i've ever seen in my life to being like kind of a dark horse if in any other year where there wasn't like Coach Bud and all these different guys, he 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 would be at least in the conversation. But I think Bud and Kerr have just blown everyone else out. I don't even think there is a conversation. Kid's a good coach, uh, and you know I'm sure you saw yesterday. Steiny and and Ohm had the thing about the Nets evaluating Lionel Hollins, um, which is like what you should be doing. You should evaluate everyone on your team. Uh, I don't know how many like how many more good guys get to coach the team. I mean, the team's not good. Um, right. Re- reincarnate Red Arback. They're just not good. Um, and kid, kid made the right choice. And I don't know all the variables that went into that choice, but I'll bet you dollars to donuts um, that one of the variables was kid looking at the roster and thinking this is hopeless and this team's not very good and I have a chance to craft something with a with a young nucleus that could be interesting. It was a Michael Corleone decision. I fully I, I actually fully support it. Plus he Billy King tried to fire him. Billy King wanted him out in December and, and w- was trying to make it happen and kid knew about it. So after that you can't blame anybody for uh for doing what's best for them. I don't I don't blame Jason Kidd for that. I mean it was a it was a mess. But I, I don't was, blame him it, for it. Hey it speaking of messes, we gotta talk about this Bulls thing quickly because this is one of those things where the actual what's going on isn't fully what I think the public thinks. And um, Chicago has done this before with with uh, they they really battled Vinny Del Negro, who 
maybe wasn't the greatest coach, but is one of the only coaches I remember who actually got in a, a fight with his GM in the locker room. That happened. Um, there's been some other weird stuff with them over the years, and it does seem like – I don't want to use the word smear campaign, but there are elements of smear campaignishness in some of these Tibbs things that we've been reading. Do you feel like they want this guy as their coach? Uh, I'm not as plugged into that situation as I would like to be. Um, mm. The players have said mostly nice things about Tibbs across the board – all the time. Uh, even Powell last week saying, like, I don't think our practices are that hard. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know where some of the, the Tibbs – I mean, like, he does play guys too much. It's, it's Some of the minutes totals are ridiculous, including in blowouts. I mean, it's just like it's so out of step with what we're learning about players that that's, that's a black mark, and it's a big black mark on an otherwise great coaching resume. I don't know where some of the Tibbs noise is coming from, but it never stops. The Tibbs noise never stops. They could yep. be 50 and 0. And there would still be noise. And where there's that much noise, there's something going on. But, yeah, you're right. There's been a lot of weird stuff. I mean, we never really got completely the full story about Ron Adams. I mean, Ron Adams came out and, and did an interview about it this year, um, that there may have been some sort of verbal confrontation there, too. Yeah. But, like, Ron, now Ron Adams is like a hero in Golden State. Everyone loves him. Everyone's loved him everywhere he's been. He was loved in Boston. It's like Ron Adams is not the kind of guy that – I like, that – gets into these chronic disputes with front offices. He just goes and everyone loves him and and then another team hires him to be their, you know, number number one assistant. They shanked Ron Adams. And everyone's talking about how great Golden State's coaching staff is and Ron Adams is one of Steve Kerr's two lead assistants. So do the math. Um from from what I'm hearing, a lot of the trouble has come from they hired this lady named Jennifer Swanson who's like a physical therapy performance type person. You And she's on... Oh, uh, I think we've heard a little bit. So it's like a, a season ago they hired her and she's been in there and um, apparently they rely on her to the point that it makes Tibbs a little uncomfortable. And she's actually telling management how many minutes guys should play and stuff like that. And that's a lot of the conflict. Is, is, what she, I'm is she also the yoga yeah. person? Yeah, for them. yeah, I've heard some of these rumblings too. Yeah. I think th- I think that's an issue because once you start moving into the the realm of we don't trust how you're pl- the minutes that you're playing these guys, we're going to give you help. That's when it becomes a problem, I think. And I think that's part of what's going on. But I also think there's real mistrust, you know, and I think you see it come in these waves where stuff getting leaked, stuff and then People are pay, taking sides in the media, and, and I, I don't think it's a good situation at all. They got to fix it because um, that team's talented. That there are two really talented teams um, in that conference that have underachieved for whatever reason: the Bulls and and the Cavs. They got to figure um, that out. I'm reading the interview that uh, Ron Adams gave to Casey Johnson of the Chicago Tribune when um, Golden State came to Chicago. Right. But by, by the way, they played tonight. We're talk- we're like indirectly talking about the Ron Adams bull, um, <laughs> and all all Ron Adams was told was the the Bulls told him that he made quote a disp- he was caught making a disparaging remark about the organization outside the organization's walls. So he said something, and like by the way, there are organizations that really care about this stuff. Yeah, like they really care if their guys 
say some snarky remark about one of their players or like the kind of stuff that you would say if you work for a basketball team. Some teams just don't tolerate that or they use it as a pretense for moving around guys that they don't like anyway. But um, so that's what that's how Rod Adams explained how his firing was explained or his departure anyway was it was explained to him. It's it's certainly I would say one of the hardest teams in the league to coach because you have Noah who had a career year last year who has a lot of miles on him already. You have Pau who's coming off whatever situation he had in LA. You have Derek Rose and his brother and Rose just from day to day you just don't know what you're gonna get. Tibbs goes to work every day, he has no idea what Derek Rose is gonna be there. Um and then you've incorporated a whole bunch of other people, you got two rookies. You got to deal with the if Noah, Gasol, and Gibson are all healthy, which guy doesn't play in crunch time? Gibson has not had a good year, um, and you're in a, you're he's in a been conference. Okay. I, I, he's been I okay, like but he's, yeah. I wouldn't say he's been full scale Taj. Would you? No, and that's I actually tweeted about this earlier this week or over the weekend. There's not a six man of the year candidate that's like blowing the field. Like last year, I was all about mm. Todd Gibson. Todd Gibson, I was like, or Markeith Morris, who now starts, so he's he's out of the conversation. I think the closest one is maybe Isaiah Thomas uh, in Phoenix. Yeah, but Todd Todd has been okay, not quite Todd Todd, not not quite peak Todginess, but but still not pretty at all. good. Is yeah, it's almost like Steve Kerr should just start bringing Draymond off the bench so he can win it. Can do uh, that? Just bring him in a minute into the game. Well, I, <laughs> I think that's. I think that it's too. It's officially by the math too late for that plan. He started too many games. Uh, Quick, to quickly on Cleveland. I'm not as much of a believer on as everyone else is. Oh, they turned it around. Cleveland's good now. Mozgov. I just feel like they, they won six games, and I wouldn't say the schedule was that hard when you actually look at each game. Um, I'm not saying it was fraudulent. I'm just saying I, I'm not not I'm not buying my uh, my plane ticket to the Eastern Conference Finals in Cleveland yet. Is that fair? I mean, of course it's fair. They have to prove it over more than more than six games, but they did beat Oklahoma City. Um, they did beat the Clippers. Is that even? They... Am I supposed to be impressed by that in 2015? Serious question. Yes. Okay. Uh, they beat the Clippers. They beat the Bulls, and rather handily uh, in most of those cases. Um, not mo- the, the the Thunder game was close, but um, you know they kind of pulled away in the end or held a steady eight, nine, ten point lead. I, they look they've looked good. The balance the roster is more balanced now. But yeah, of course they have to prove it for more than for more than six games. Um, but it helps to have the old LeBron back. That's for sure. Old LeBron looks like old LeBron all of a sudden. Nice two-week vacation. Whatever happened during the vacation, he's looking nice and spry. He's really flying around all of a sudden. Uh, the the J.R. Smith, I to me, that's like the other shoe is, is going to drop with J.R., but right now he's better than, than, than Waiters. And Mozgov has settled the whole, you know, my in my opinion, the biggest problem with that roster was three of their five best players were power forwards. LeBron's a power forward, Kevin Love's a power forward, and Tristan Thompson is a power forward. And they never totally figured that out. And now Mozgov's in there, and LeBron's moving better, and the roster itself makes more sense than it did. But I still I still, am, I still have my guard up with this team, to say the least. LeBron doesn't want to play a power forward anymore. And as, as long as that's the case, he's not he's no longer a power forward. Um, mm. But we we have more and more we have more and more evidence though that LeBron 
plus Le- Le- LeBron with a big man combination that is Kevin Love, so a floor spacer and a sort of dive man pseudo rim protector if it's Tristan Thompson or actual rim protector if it's Mozgov. That works really well as long as Kyrie and whoever plays shooting guard falls sort of into line and what they should be doing in the offense. And I think Kyrie is is increasingly finding little places to be himself. Like he's not comfortable being an off-ball spot-up thread and all that, but he's like he likes to have the ball and control the ball, and he's, he's finding a lot of early offense. Like when he brings the ball up, he can attack and do Kyrie things and make pull-up jumpers and get crazy layups and stuff like that. It's, it's like things are coming together. I, I, like, I yeah. like what I'm seeing. Well, listen to that. I mean, they caught one of the all-time schedule breaks. They have the Pistons tonight. Jennings just went down. They play Aldridge and one-handed Aldridge in Portland at home on Wednesday. They play the reeling, imploding, uh, why the hell did they fire their coach, Sacramento Kings, on Friday. They play in Minnesota on Saturday. That team's going for a top-five pick now. They play. They host Philly. They host the Clippers with three days rest during a Clippers East Coast trip on a Thursday. Is this the Grammys trip that the Clippers are on? Is this yeah, the yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no Clipper game for like two weeks. Eight, game, uh, they, eight straight road games. Sorry. They play at Indy. They host the Lakers. They play Miami right before the All-Star break. You know either way or Bosch will be hurt by the time that game rolls around. Ooh. And then Thursday night, Friday, all of a sudden it gets tough. They play uh, at Chicago, at Washington. So they have really almost a three-week window here to go on a run and get their team together and get some confidence and get rolling. And I, and I think that's a pretty safe bet. Hey, that's nice. Take it. Win some games. Get rolling. Find your rotation. Find find who should play with whom. Find how Shumpert fits in. I like that. By the way, when they've had Shumpert coming in, mm. they've experimented with a lineup that has no point, no traditional point guard in. And I like that. Just like boom, that's what the season is for. You get an easy streak. Find yourself, and the games will get harder as the season goes on. And and you bank what you bank the knowledge and the wins that you've gotten in that soft stretch. I like that team. They could. I mean, look. We all knew Cleveland should be really good. They could win the East. There's no question about that. Well, most important, just for us, for because we're losers who watch the NBA night after night after night, I didn't like watching the Cavs for two months. And you didn't either. No, and, it was, it was And it was, just, it was just made us sad and, and confused. And now I actually kind of like watching them, and LeBron's got his bounce back, and guys are kind of generally in the right places now, and, and, and I, I enjoy them because... We we were in the situation where the early games just sucked night after night after night, unless Washington or Atlanta was playing, and then the West Coast games were always loaded. But now we have that third team in there. Now we have Cleveland, Atlanta, and Washington, and if they're playing the right opponent, now the early game might be a little bit intriguing. And now we get the doubleheader that I've wanted really the whole season. It's it's just been too backloaded, and then, and then these, you know, on the flip side. Every night, the Western games, they, you just throw two teams in a, in a hat, pull two names out, and it's a great game. You know? I don't want to hear, um, it's like 25 degrees out and we just had a pseudo blizzard in New yeah. York. I, I don't want to hear people in Pacific time complaining about the scheduling of NBA games. Okay? Fair, fair I mean, play. Like, all the good games you're talking about happen in prime time, your time, all when you're you, in your sweet spot. Okay? Like, that's, I don't want to hear about it. I'm it's looking not my at the fault schedule. You live in New York. You could live here. Could come to the Grantland office, hang out, be in our meetings. You, you, could, you, choose, I, you choose bad weather. You've made that choice. 
believe me, this was this has been a topic of conversation ever since I got back from California last week. I was dry, I was in Santa Cruz driving my rental car down the highway with the window down. I found a serious XM station that was all Pearl Jam and I was like singing and having my arm waving out the window and I th- and I had moments where I was like I, I in New York I don't drive and mm. it's freezing cold. And I I had moments where I was like this is kind of nice. You know what my biggest decision is going to be today after this podcast is done? Um I'm, I have to go somewhere, and I have to honestly decide whether I want to put the top down or not in my car. Because it's like it's sunny, but it's a little chilly, you know. So I got I, that's a decision I'm going to have later. Meanwhile, you're going to be wondering um, what size jacket you're going to wear as you brave the blizzard. So you could do it here, it's a, and the games do come on earlier. Wait, but quick question, by the way. Were you watching the Golden State game on Friday night, the Clay Thompson all-time greatest heat check that's ever happened, or did your did people text you and tweet you, and you had to get to a TV, or did you just watch it later on Lake Pass like I did? Uh, later, uh, I was not watching it. It was not one of my games that I was slated to have that night. Um, and I think I actually, I don't know, I wasn't in front of a TV. I don't remember where I was, but I wasn't in front of a TV when it was happening. And obviously my Twitter blew up and all that, um, and then I watched the highlights of it uh, the next day. And it was – many people have said this, but for something like that to happen in front of Golden State's crowd makes it like at least 20% even more awesome. Yeah, I would say it's one of the random, random great regular season moments ever and the greatest heat check I've ever seen. I always thought um, – you know, they, there's candidates for greatest heat check, and you can throw throw names out there, but – to do that in eight and a half minutes in a game that was a two-point game. And it wasn't just like these were wide-open threes. Like, he had a couple Larry Bird hand-in-the-face off-balance. And when my thing is the final level of the heat check is when your teammates are just laughing in disbelief. That's what I need. Yeah. I, need the la- I need the shot of people either bending over in disbelief and or laughing in disbelief or just looking at each other like a UFO landed. That's the final level, and he hit it. Well, the final level is probably – I mean, if you're using Bird, the final level is when the other team is doing that <laughs> on the bench. You're right. That, that's the final level. <laughs> that didn't happen though, did it? And Sacramento would have been a good candidate for that too. I don't, I don't remember seeing any shots of that uh, shots of that happening. But that's – yeah, that – no, it was – Yeah, you're right. It was, it's so ridiculous. Like Charles Bethea from – who writes for us every once in a while just did a Q&A today on Grantland with Mike Scott. And he mentions in there that Mike Scott scored 17 points in a quarter – Against the against the Pacers last year in the playoffs, and I just I just like scrolled right over it. Like I, I remember it. Like now it's like who cares? Seventeen points in a quarter. Like doesn't like that's like not mm. not a big deal. Thirty seven. I I can't even wrap my head around that. I know, and and uh, you know the Iceman scored thirty three without the three point line in a quarter. So you know. It, it, like that, they, we should still that should that rec, that record should never go away. Maybe we should have a two point record and a three point record. But absolutely, it's a nine totally threes and a game. quarter. Yeah, nine threes and a quarter is. I put it this way: I don't think we're going to get ten and a quarter in our lifetime. And if it happens, oh my god! I bet we do. I bet we. You think do. we get ten? Our, uh, yeah, because the, the league is only going to shoot more and more threes unless they change the rules or move the line out. So there will there somebody will do it. In our, in our, if you're giving me in our lifetime, yeah, assuming right. a normal male human lifetime, I'm taking it. I'm going to say even odds. That those odds might shift. You know, one thing that people are making a big deal about the three point contest because it's going to be great. We have some marquee dudes, and 
at this point, it's almost like you have gangs. You have like the Golden State Gang and you have the Portland Gang. And it would almost be more fun if they just made the three-point contest like sets of teammates. But um, people are saying how the three-point contest has now replaced the slam dunk contest as the marquee event on All-Star Saturday. First of all, All-Star Saturday sucked for 10 years, so we needed any sort of juice. Um, second, I know that's cute and I know people are going to make the argument, but if there's a good person in the slam dunk contest, that's still going to trump any other contest. The problem is there's never good people in the slam dunk contest anymore. So the reason the three-point works is there's star power in it. And we want to see stars on All-Star Saturday. They, there's an idea. Stars, famous people. So, yeah, it's going to be great. Um, but are you? do you find yourself deep down like kind of really excited for this three-point contest or no? I love the three-point contest. Okay, you're good. Preaching, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree. I'm a three-point contest guy. Um, the, the, the difference is the three-point contest has the format set. It's It works. I mean, the, the only little tweak they've made is the little money ball thing they did last year where you could put them all on whatever rack you wanted. But the, the format works. The dunk contest, can't fi- they can't figure it out. They just can't, like, do you have unlimited dunk attempts? Do you have a time clock? Is it teams? Is it conferences? Like, I don't even know who won the dunk contest last year. And I've heard it's, that the format is going to be different again this year. I don't know what it is, but they're not going to do the thing they did last year where no one understood who the hell the slam dunk champion was. But, right. So that, that's the difference. <laughs> I still don't know who won. <laughs> I think John Wall won, but the Eastern Conference also won. Oh, my and God. I, the, who lost was the people watching it uh, yeah. in the crowd. Uh, but it, but I think they're going to change it again. But the three point format it just works. I mean, it just the you know it's just fun to do the math of like okay he needs at least eighteen. He's halfway through. How many of the next you know ten shots does he need to hit? It just works. It's fast. It it just it's a it's a great. I love it. And it's going to be awesome this year. I don't know the full field yet, but the names that have come out. Uh, I lo- it's going to be awesome. I love it. By the way, by the way, I like I like that Steph Curry is going to keep doing it until he wins. That's awesome. I, that that's like he's never going to get too good for the three point shutout. He's doing it until yeah. he wins. I love it too, and I love any contest that the first three winners were Larry Bird. So I'm all the way in on that too. Uh, you mentioned how great it was that the Clay Thompson thing happened in Golden State. Do we still think that's the best home court advantage in the NBA? Would you make the case for them, or would you make it for somebody else? Ooh, the very best home court. I mean, some home courts fluctuate. I th- Toronto is going to be a beast in the playoffs. I when agree. They get, when they get that's that insane crowd going, that's yeah. I mean, I don't know how many teams can compare. I mean, New York is pretty good when the Knicks are good. Um, well, no, I'm talking about right they, now because I think. Golden State was always a top five crowd. It tailed off a tiny bit just because so much money was drifting into that arena and all the Silicon Valley around, and you could kind of see the composition of the fans change a little bit. But it was still a top five crowd, and they have the bully factor now. You know, they're beating the hell out of teams at home, and the fans can smell it, and they know when the team's going for the kill. And I think that's the toughest play. But what's interesting is, and you and I have been emailing about this back and forth because we're just kind of in disbelief about it. But home court advantage is kind of dying in the NBA. It's 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 turning into – I don't know if I'd use the word advantage. It's a home court mild advantage. You know, yeah, it's this? weird. It, it's weird. We've been – no one's really written about it yet, but we've been talking about it. And the league sent me some data last week. Um, 
like scoring margin and it, scoring margin if you adjust for like quality of quality of the teams the home team and the away team is is way down uh it's like jeff sagarin has something that tracks this on usa today and it's way down and the league sent me last week I, home teams have a winning as of a week ago have won like 53 percent of their games so far that would be the lowest figure in the history of the nba and usually let me actually yeah. bring it up so i can see it usually it's like in the 60s or high 50s, I think. I, I don't know what the I thought exact it was. I thought it was in the 60s. Yeah, I thought it was like in the... I'm going to bring it up. The team usually won two out of every three, basically. Um, well, why, why are you looking at it? Hold on. Because I looked this up this weekend. Um, in 2015, right now, 14 teams have losing records at home. We only have 30 teams in the league. Um, in 2010, nine teams had losing records at home. And in 2005, six teams had losing records at home. So we've gone from um, a record of 24 and six, or 24 of 30 teams with winning records at home, to now 16 of 30 teams, and that's only in 10 years. So in in the last decade, home winning percentage has hovered right around 60. It's been 60, 61, 59, 58. In hmm. the 80s, it was in the mid to late 80s. It was like 67. Yeah, and that's, mostly what, I'm, that's mid, what I'm remembering. Mostly in the mid-60s around them was 58 last year, 53 this year. Now, there could be something at play where, like, um, a lot of really good teams have a lot of home games coming to them or, like, in the aggregate, the, the last half of the season will be more powerful teams at home. So, like, a home game for Golden State is more a more likely win than a home game for Orlando. Um, there may be yeah. more of that coming, but still, this is going to be the lowest – home winning percentage ever and i've been talking to guys around the league about why that might be no one no one really knows i know you it, you know the the word parity has been tossed around that all these teams are close closer together in terms of quality than normal and that might shrink home court advantage i don't know if that's the case i know you have some ideas but it's something we've been talking about i really only have one idea i think we are now in the stub hub era and I've noticed this with hockey and I've noticed with this with basketball because I have season tickets for the Clippers and I have season tickets for the LA, LA Kings. It's so easy now to sell your tickets. And especially if you have season tickets for a team that makes the playoffs every year. And and really 70% of – between 70 and 90% of why anyone has season tickets is because they want the playoff tickets. In the old days, you went to the regular season games. You had – you know, first of all – you weren't going to be able to get rid of the tickets anyway. Second of all, you had less options back then. Now you have a ton of options. You could argue, unless the, I mean, I've found myself in this situation this year. Unless the Clippers are playing a team that I want to see, I'd rather just stay home and watch nine basketball games. I have more fun than I have to drive down there. I have to sit in the stands. Got to, you know, potentially find a babysitter. Like, it's just easier to stay home. And I think it's so easy to sell tickets now. And then on the flip side, especially when you see, like, some of the bigger cities – um, I think, you know, you have these little pockets of fans in every city. Like there was an LA Kings game. I swear to God, we went to my, I have four tickets for the Kings. We went to a Winnipeg Jets game. There were, there was like 20% Winnipeg Jets fans at this LA Kings game. And you think to yourself, like, where are these people coming from? But you know, when the Clippers played the Bulls, there were more Bulls fans than Clipper fans there. And Chris Paul got pissed about it after the game. So anyway, my point is, I, I wonder if these home games are like a lion's den. Because either you're in a situation where you have a ton of opposing fans there, or you're in a situation where where 
people just can't get rid of their tickets. And scalpers are kind of out the window. Like, look at these Miami games now. There's you, the TV they're showing like just empty seats at midcourt. Don't, don't poke the Miami fans. I had to. Go, I had come to. on. We come haven't on. taken a shot at them in five podcasts. I had to. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's in, so you're focusing on the crowd. Well, I, I think that's a factor. I, I also think travels much easier for the road teams. Charter planes. Um, I don't. I don't think it's debilitating to be on a road trip like it used to be. I think napping is better, eating is better. There are all these other factors that just make players more ready to play on the road than they had 20 years ago. I mean, think about 20 years ago. You guys are still flying coach. You guys who had no idea that, hey, it's a terrible idea to have a cheeseburger a half hour before the game. Like, so I, I think there's been a lot of different reasons, but we're certainly seeing the results. Yeah, it could be. The travel thing could be a big reason why it, it took that dip from the 80s until now from like a near 70% prospect for the home team to a 60%. And there, you know, and and the other, so you can look at travel, you can look at crowds, you have to look at officiating. Like I haven't dug into the data. I don't know that anyone really can dig into the data, but it, it might, it may be possible that the league made, you know, there's been a lot of evidence that home teams do benefit, benefit from officiating, especially when they're behind. Mm in games maybe some maybe the league helped clean that up or equal it out in some way and i I don't know you know there are more back-to-backs this year because of the the nine-day all-star break or what or whatever it is and maybe there have been more home back-to-backs where the home team's on a back-to-back but the road team isn't or they're both on a back-to-back and home court advantage may maybe shrinks in that situation although i don't think that's necessarily the case if both teams are in a back-to-back. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's a topic of interest um, for sure around the NBA. Well, and also players in general, I think, are a little more competent from top to bottom. And you look at, you know, I did this in my trade by column last week. Where you just compare the 2007 Mavs to the 2015 Warriors, and there's probably five guys on that 2007 Mavs team who wouldn't even play in the Warriors. So I think these teams are better equipped on the road to maybe steal games. And I also wonder. Because I've noticed this in hockey. Hockey fans are brutal, which is one of the reasons my kids love going to hockey games and and weirdly don't love going to basketball games because they think the crowd is boring. They think the Clippers fans, they wouldn't feel this way if they were in Golden State or even if the in Boston with the right crowd or some of the other NBA crowds. But Clipper fans really have to see some dunks to get going. And it's just quiet. And it's just that, you know, you just kind of, you can hear the ball bounce. You can hear the sneakers squeak. Nobody's yelling anything. And I always think the crowd's, like, too nice. I always felt that way with Lakers crowds, too, and some of the other stadiums I've been to. Like, Portland crowds, Toronto crowds, they're trying to affect the game. I wonder how many, you know, out of the 30 home teams, I wonder how many of these crowds can actually affect games and affect refs and get in players' heads and stuff like that. That stuff just doesn't happen as much anymore. I think most NBA games are quiet. And, and like, my yeah. friends who go, to, who go to one NBA game a year or one every, NBA game every five years, they, they say, like, you read about the NBA. Like, do people not care about the NBA? I, my experience at Barclays or my experience wherever, like, people were quiet. They were more interested in the Jumbotron than they were in the game. Uh, right. It just it wasn't it wasn't as alive uh, as, no. as they thought it would be. And I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know. I, my, I'm tempted to say it's because there are so many games because, like, football is the sport where the crowd is, like, so insanely part of trying to affect every single play. Yeah. But it's not like the same people are going to all 40 home games. So you would get tired of it. Maybe there's just no sense of urgency about every game, but I I think most games are just not, I don't feel a lot of like, like 
energy or viciousness toward the road team or anything like that at games. No, and you're definitely not feeling that at Barclays. It's, uh, no. it's, people are like half asleep at Barclays. It's between the way they light it and the players they're watching, they're like in a coma. Um, let's talk about the West quickly and then we get to go. Uh, you had – well, there's two West dilemmas. One is does Kevin Durant make the all-star team for not really having played enough games? I am firmly in the camp of like, I'm sorry, you're not an all-star. You just you, you just didn't play enough games. Like this isn't – that this isn't a popularity contest. You missed too many games. You can't be on the all-star team. Do you, you didn't have them either on your team. Do you agree with that theory? Well, it depends what you think the all-star game is, right? First of all, it is a popularity contest, and he lost. Like, there was a popularity contest for the starters, and he did Good not point. win it. Um, so he didn't win the popularity part of it. You know, like some people say the all-star team is just a joke. It's a, it's a show. It, you know, the best players should be there. It's for the fans. And it's not a real game and who cares? And I guess there's something to that. But like for me, the, the fun of the all-star game is I want to pick the 24 guys who are the the all-star game happens every year, right? It's, it's, it's like to honor the players who are playing the best that year. And I want to get that right. And that's the only way you get new blood in the all-star game is like if every legacy guy who misses half the season can get in because they're Kevin Durant. Well, like, that means a Kyle Korver or a Jeff Teague or whoever is like – or a Mike Conley or whatever it is is just never going to get in. And to yeah. me, that's less that's less fun. But that's because I take the All-Star game seriously as a way to honor – and again, I've said this a million times. If we're going to get to Sean Marion's Hall of Fame case and say, well, he's a four-time All-Star or Amari's Hall of Fame case and he's a seven-time All-Star or whatever, then then we got to take it seriously. And if, if we're not going to take it seriously – then we shouldn't do that when those guys come up for the Hall of Fame. So my, I, it depends what you view it as, and both points are valid. It is just a stupid show where no one tries, and and if all you're looking for is alley-oops and star power, then Kevin Durant belongs. And if you look at it another way, he doesn't belong. There's no right answer. Everyone's viewpoint is fair. Yeah, I mean, you and I are in the top 99.9% of people who care just because of how it matters in the big picture. And it was one of the big frustrations when I was writing my book was – relying on MVP votes and all NBA stuff, but then having also enough information to know that some of these MVP votes and all NBA things were deeply flawed, you know? And when you just throw out like, well, this guy's been on 15 straight all-star teams, but then you're actually there. Do you remember like, yeah, but two of those years he shouldn't have made it. And he made it just because he was popular not because he played well. Um, I don't know. To me, it matters, but I don't think I think to most people, they just want to see Kevin Durant in the All-Star game and they're going to watch the All-Star game uh, on whatever day it is in, in, in February. And they're going to be like, why is that Cousins guy from the Kings in the All-Star game and not Durant? Like those people are out there. Do you so, think Cousins, if he, make, if he makes the All-Star game, will be as pouty? In that it would be really funny if he were as pouty in the All Star game as he is in like, like if he was mad at his teammates and threw the ball yeah. on the floor after someone blows a defensive assignment that would be funny. I think now, here's, he'll, I think, he'll overcompensate the other way. I think I think he'll try to be too gregarious. I think the coaches will vote Durant in. Um, oh man, and I think really? the, I, I think they will. And I, we, for, there are two other observations I want to make. Number one, I'm gonna on, I'm on record predicting that, and the coaches are gonna put four Hawks in. That's my prediction. Wow! Other, I think they're. I think they're all going to get. That's exciting. I would love I'm, that. I, I, I'm just blindly predicting that. I okay. don't have any ins, inside information. Um, but we need. We also need. Like I need. 
I need for me for my personal usage, and you do too. There needs to be some line at which you've missed too many games to to make our All Star teams. I don't know where that. I had Westbrook and Cousins. They've missed like twelve or thirteen, which at this point of the season is almost one third of the season. But they're in, and Durant missing more than he's missed like fifty five percent of the season now. That that's out. So I don't know where the line is, but it's right around that like thirty three percent. I'm going to need to have an official rule. I don't know what it should be. Durant's missed 24 of 45 games. That's ludicrous. You're not an all-star. Sorry. You, you, you haven't even played 45% of the games. You're out. Just the way it is. I need a hard, I need a hard line rule. How about I need two-thirds? A should, you play, should you play two-thirds of the season to be an all-star? I think that that's about where it feels icky for me. If it's less than that, I start to feel like I'm doing a disservice to somebody like Mike Conley, who's played damn near every game at a very steady high level, and you know isn't as explosive as player X, Y, and Z. But you know, it, Wade's really played good. 34. Wade's played 34, 44. That's he's in. Feels I'm doable. Fine. Yeah, doable. Um, the uh, you had Steph Curry, Harden, Davis, Gasol, and Aldridge. Now you went the other way. You put three big guys in, the, in your starters. You just cheat. You're like Belichick. No, you're that's, that's the rules. That's no. That they're all front court players, and they're the three best front court players in the Western right. Conference. Um, and then your bench is Chris Paul, Lillard, Blake Griffin, Cousins, Duncan, Westbrook, Clay Thompson. So you bumped Durant, and you, you did you bump Westbrook? No, you kept no, Westbrook. I, mean, I put him in. You bump Draymond Green, which I'm fine with. Um, and Mike Conley, I guess, would be the big one. The Mike Conley thing hurts both of us. But I, I think I agree with you. Conley and, Z- Conley and Zebo were, at the end, I think, the toughest the toughest omissions for me. Plus Durant. Um, well, I was getting I plus Dirk. Like, Dirk, you personal I, feelings I, for. Like, Dirk might actually DM you and, and be genuinely hurt. It hurt, it hurt me. I mean, I like, it's just a really hard... Dirk had a shooting slump that lasted like a yeah. month and inspired like 9,000 panicked blog posts from Dallas people like that in the Western Conference. That's enough. Yeah. But I, I, again, I wouldn't have any problem with him getting in. He's having another great year. I just feel like it's really hard to get in. It's just it's it's brutal. Yeah, it's too bad. I the, love the Dirk. West nobody, is too loves Dirk. nobody loves Dirk more than me. Listen, you, you hash it out with him. You know, he's going to you know, he's going to be hurt. It's hurt right now. He's just sitting in his hotel room, sadly, listening to this. I don't think he cares. Uh, yeah, he but, knows, he and knows. we didn't even mention Dwight, who I, who I actually don't think is going to make the team. I, I, <laughs> and I, I don't it. think he's going to make it. But, by the way, Dwight's turned into DeAndre Jordan. Uh, easy, easy. Yeah, he's turned into DeAndre Jordan. He's a, he's a rim protector and a rebounder. That's who he is. He's a better version. They don't even run plays for him anymore. And when they do, it, it, it's, it certainly doesn't have the same impact that it did. And by the way... I don't know if we should be surprised. He's been in the league, what, 12 years now? And, and this is what happens to centers. I think they, a lot of it is, is health for him. Like yeah, he's, he's had knee and, and now is that an ankle thing. Like, but it Shoulders. is very – yeah, it is very – and back and all that. It's yeah. very strange. The, he'll go through like two months where his post game is a disaster. And you'll say – like every post up is a turnover, an ugly miss. And you'll say, well, he's just never going to be a post up player again. And then he'll get healthier, rest, and he'll just go crazy for a month or whether it was in the playoffs, destroyed Robin Lopez in the post and look like a dominant player again. And it might just be when his body's right, he can do that. And when his body's not right, he can't. And if he can't do that, that's the interesting thing about Houston and where they feel the Parsons thing a little bit. 
when he can't do that, the offense is really just James Harden creating stuff. They don't have another even secondary guy who can do a lot for you off the dribble. I mean, Ariza can do a little. Beverly, they're running a little, some tricky little pick and roll plays for him now, but he's not like he's not going to change your world and get to the rim. That that's it's a sneaky little thing for them. Dwight's uh, 2011 season, which was terrific, 23 points a game, 14 rebounds. MVP, uh, should have been the MVP. Shot 59%. Um, but here's, you know, 11.7 field goal attempts, four offensive rebounds a game. This year, 6.9. Oh, no, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm sorry. I was looking at free throw attempts. 11.7 free throw attempts. And this year, 6.9 free throw attempts. So he's dropped by 40-plus percent, 13.4 field goal attempts. Now he's down to 11 this year, four, five years later. Um, the numbers back up when I'm watching. He's he's just not as impactful. And a lot of times you just forget he's out there unless a rebound, unless a rebound bounces toward him. You know, I, I, I think Houston's fine with it because we've always said this is the best way to use Dwight Howard is probably not to – change your whole offense to get him post-up looks and try to get him involved and keep him happy. That's probably what you don't want to do. Yeah, uh, except when he's rolling and he's got a good matchup, he can do damage there and should get the ball. He's not a great passer out of the post, but he's not a terrible one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, he is, you know, and he like everyone thinks in Orlando, he was just like Stan just had him pick and rolling and dunking and playing defense. Stan posted him up a lot, and he was pretty good at it. He doesn't look good. It's like Blake Griffin. He doesn't look good doing it, so people think he's a bad post-up player. But they're both, you know, when they're rolling, quite good. It's just Dwight is rolling less and less since the health problems started to hit. He does get a lot of free throws, but part of his getting free throws is that people foul him on purpose because he doesn't shoot free throws well. Well, that's the thing. So he's 6.9 free throws a game, but think I'm in back of Dwight free throws those have been. Um He's played 800 career games, 67 playoff. So, you know, we forget with these guys. Like, the, you do have an odometer, and at some point you're going to, especially if you're a big man, you have so many years, and then you're going to kind of morph into a different version of yourself. I think he could be the Dwight Howard he is right now for five more years and have a huge impact for a playoff team. But I, I think the days of him destroying Robin Lopez, I, I think they're gone. I don't, I don't think that's... I'm having real trouble trying to figure out where he goes in the trade value because I don't think he's a dominant superstar center anymore. And really, he hasn't been since that last Orlando year. You I'm know, not, I'm not made quite excuses for him for three years, but he just I'm, hasn't. I'm not quite willing to go as far as you because I learned my lesson last year. I thought his With post you. game was just was just dead, and oh. then he then he found himself and found his legs and started looking dominant again. And I think he'll probably have a couple of stretches like that long ones over the next two or three years. But yeah, look, he's still a, a really good player and Houston is, you know, they're, they're as tough as anyone out there. And Demo's emergence has been big for them. Uh, uh, but there are some, you know, little fissures and issues with that team as there are for everyone. Well, we got to wrap it up. What else are you writing about this week? Uh, I got a fun Q&A with Vucevic coming out tomorrow. Um, Beautiful. And a couple of little news tidbits that I'm trying to follow up on that one or two of them will pan out, and maybe we'll get a trade this week. Maybe we won't. And think about mm. writing on the Clippers for next week. The Clippers, the surging Los Angeles Clippers, uh, quietly 
putting together a really good stretch of ball, but their schedule is about to get, I mean, not even just the road trip, their schedule is about to get like heinous. Uh, right. I mean, the end, people need listen, to remember that. Yeah. They've played 27 games at home and only 18 on the road. But even what, so at the end of their road trip is at Cleveland, at Toronto on a back-to-back, at Oklahoma City, at Dallas on a back-to-back. And then you're like, okay, road trip's over. You come back, Houston, San Antonio after the All-Star break, then they'll give me against Sacramento, then Memphis, Houston, Memphis, Chicago. It's like, oh, my, the next 20 games for them are going to be vicious. Well, and they've also, they played 24 games in the Western Conference so far. To put that in perspective, Golden State's played 28. Houston's played 29. San Antonio's played 31, which is one of the reasons I think people need to calm down about San Antonio maybe drifting out. Um, that's a lot of games left. They've played 45 games total, but they have 20, They have 37 games left, but 26 against the West. And as you said, 27 at home, 18 on the road. So, yeah. And, and they're also – I'm going to throw this out, and then we really have to go. They're the team that's least equipped to suffer an injury to one of their top three guys. Or actually, in their case, one of the top two. But they literally have no room for error with an injury. If you take away any of those guys, it's a disaster, right? Like, they need they need their five main guys who you see in crunch time every game. They can't afford any of those guys to get hurt. So uh, I mean, we'll you see. could say that for Memphis with Zebo, Conley, and Gasol. You could say it for a lot of teams. Uh, Harden and, and Howard and Houston, even Dirk, Tyson, Monte in Dallas. But, yeah, they're not they're, – their bench does not inspire – if Chris, um, uh, all right, if Chris gets hurt, like if Zebo gets hurt in Memphis, Memphis can go small and cheat, play a little more Kufus. They, they have options. If Chris got hurt on the Clippers or if Blake got hurt on the Clippers, they have no options. Austin like, Rivers, contract do? year push. <laughs> Poor G- GM Doc took a beating. Billy King sent GM Doc a, a, a note just, just wishing him well and asking if he needed to talk. Call me if you want if you want any advice. Um, all right, now we really have to go. Zach Lowe, as always, a pleasure. We will see you on Grantland.com and uh, and hopefully on the next Grantland Basketball Hour. Thank you, sir. Thank you for downloading the BS Report with Bill Simmons. Too much fun. Check out more podcasts at the iTunes Music Store or at PodCenter at ESPNRadio.com. Peace out.